episode 37. I'm Jules. I'm Cece. Uh, nice yeah. to see ya. It's good to see you too. How how are you doing today? How are you? I'm I'm good. <laughs> I, <laughs> I we went to the Highland Games. I don't know what today, that is. Um, which is a Scottish it's a Scottish festival. Was everybody wearing kilts? It was super cool. Absolutely. Were they talking like they were in Braveheart? There were yeah. They actually had people from Braveheartland, also Ooh. known as Scotland, that were there. And they were like MC in that bitch. That's fun. Like there was dudes there. I don't know if you'd know anything about our Scottish heritage, but the way that you prove that you are a man is by throwing a big stone, like big giant rocks. You know how much I love big giant rocks. Yeah, you do. Like, I didn't even think about that. So you were wow. really into it? Big strong men. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> big strong men throwing big giant rocks as far as they possibly could. And then also they take these like big logs. Yeah. And then they like carry them around and they go, and then they throw them. Oh, I wanted to kind of go to that. Yeah, you do. I do. You do. Man, that sounds like a lot of fun. It was. There was yeah. like bagpipes and fiddles and dancing people and a Highland cow display Ooh. with actual Highland cows. Did you get to pet them on their face? We, I could have petted it and I was like real close to this really cute one, but I didn't pet her because I was getting ready to eat a hot dog in all honesty. Oh. And I was like, mmm. <laughs> like, Those hot dogs I just were put my face really to close to hers. Yeah. 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 I, I put my face up close to hers and was like, hi, I love you. And just talking to her. And then I was like, I'm sorry, I can't touch you. And she really wanted me to. But I was like, I got to eat a hot dog. I'm sorry. Poor little guy. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty hungover today, to be quite honest. So that's been an adventure. So I had a. Sounds like you had fun last night. Yeah, I had a a friend that visited me from out of town and we just stayed up drinking all night and stuff. So it's just. It's what happens when you don't drink very often and then you just drink a whole bunch. But we watched a lot of alien documentary things and it was a good time sounds like fun yeah super. the fun. doc and i watched some uh catching a killer last night it's these documentaries about serial killers oh and like how they got caught and it's pretty good it's on netflix catching a killer is that what you said yeah i think of that is on my and recommended like, shows well, i recommend it as well okay i'll remember that maybe we need to talk about that sometime soon well we probably should jump in right away because god knows how much longer we have yeah full of lizzie borden do you have like a lot mm-hmm. more notes to get through is that yeah. what? all right and i have the haunting and i speaking I actually of catching a, decent, a killer i have a decent amount of notes as well for that so let's dive in and see what happens all right. All right. Did you just hear me yeah, say that? Yeah, that was really cool. I really liked it a lot. <laughs> oh, thanks. All right. I'm pretty cool. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Let's go. All right. What do you remember from where we left off? So basically, I went through like the day of the murder in in episode three, and we talked about um, how that day kind of wrapped up. 
What we didn't get to on that day, I don't think, is how, or maybe we touched on it, was that Lizzie had her friend Alice come back to the house. And, and she had Alice, Alice stay in that stay room. With her for a couple days. Where I, Abby was I really, murdered? Like, I need to look oh. it up. Yeah, I don't, I'm not for sure on that, but I, I do think that we should look that up just for funsies okay. for everyone. So they have that little tidbit well, of Well, I can do That's a really quick side quest right now. Give me a minute. Side quest. Um, you know, I'm not really finding much there. Like, there's, like, a lot of other things that I don't think that just... Okay, but I, I didn't get anything, but it said, people also ask, how many wax did Lizzie Borden give her stepmother? Or how many wax did Lizzie Borden actually give? Those are the questions. I'm not sure if she they stayed do. in that. If I'll try to, we can try to look it up later and we can add it in if we need to or if we can. But yeah, I my side quest is, I mean, this was just a Google search, but it's not pulling mm. anything up yet. Um, it says... I find it quite morbid that Alice Russell offered to stay with Emma and Lizzie in the house the night of the murders instead of offering to Emma and Lizzie to come and stay at her place and get them out of the house for the night. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. And the bodies were still in the house. So. I don't know. I just like to imagine that they made her stay in that extra bedroom, but I could be completely wrong. Yeah. I swear to God I heard that somewhere. It's just like how I heard that Uncle John wasn't wearing pants when he came over. Yeah, I think there's just a lot to to unfold with this case to know for sure. And even if you found it somewhere on the internet, you wouldn't know if it was true or not. I think this case just has too much. You don't know if any of this shit is true. Okay. Honestly. So So, Alice stayed there with them. And in that search, I right. found out probably why, but I think you probably want to explain more about Alice. Okay, go ask Alice. Okay, so there were there were police that were like stationed outside of the house too. Yeah, because they you know they wanted to see or whatever, but they could like see the little oil lamps moving throughout the house. I guess from outside, they did see that Alice and Lizzie went to the basement together Mm -hmm. it's presumed that they went to use the potty you know the one in the cellar yeah but then i guess um they went back upstairs together like to the second floor and then uh, lizzie came back down by herself and then later on they did find like a bucket of bloody rags and she said that those were you know from her period and she's like, how dare you ask me that kind of question? Yeah. Basically. Like, because crotch blood. Yeah. Which so, is a thing. And men don't talk about that. They don't talk about that. And that was kind of why in whichever episode it was, we talked about like the hygiene yeah. of the time and like what that could mean or look like. So, I mean, honestly, if if we were in a murder house together and I was scared to go potty by myself... And I I feel like I feel like I would just tell you to turn around if I had to like deal with period stuff. Yeah, I totally. But this was a different time period, and it yeah. was not in fact like her sister or whatever. It was a friend, and you know, like maybe she went down the first time and she started to go to the bathroom, and she's like, "Oh, I actually have to shit." 
Like maybe she didn't want her friend to be down there when she was shitting or something. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't want to poop by somebody. But yeah, like Alice thought it was weird or they thought it was weird. I don't know if Alice did um, that. She went back down by herself that night. Whatever the case is, we'll talk a, a little bit more about the things that Alice said during that time period, too, and why they weren't friends anymore. Okay. Basically, um, so we, as we know, this happened on August 4th, right? Mm-hmm. Was it the 4th? Did I just make that up? No, I think it was the 4th in 1892. On August 9th, there was an inquest in the courtroom over the police headquarters. Um, it was, they had the magistrate, Josiah. Uh, Blaisdell, District Attorney, Jose, is it Jose? Knowlton? Oh. I don't know. H-O-S-E-A. I think that's Jose. It just seems weird because normally that doesn't spell like No, that, it but, doesn't. But they questioned Lizzie and Bridget slash Maggie. Also Uncle John, Mr. Vaneyeyes himself, and some Mr. other people. Mr. John, no pants. Okay. Mr. Johnny No Pants. Because they're trying to do their job. And it was like a four hour long thing. And as we talked about last time, Lizzie was on morphine that Dr. Bowden gave her and she was fucked up. For like Like, days? She gave. Yeah. Probably like weeks. But uh, Lizzie was pretty fucked up when she had this this inquest happen to her when they were asking her questions. And she was very confused. Gave a lot of round like her stories just weren't adding up and you wouldn't have had a lawyer just help you with those situations then right you wouldn't like i I assume that this wasn't a time where like a period of time where you would be like i would like a lawyer before i speak to you kind of thing oh no 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 they they would have yes she should have if she was actually like in trouble but she didn't know she was in trouble okay so and she was high. This comes to, yeah. into play later. Yeah, this comes into play later. And the the three judges that presided over the trial were like, "I don't think that we can actually put this information into the trial." Yeah, because she didn't know that she was going to be on trial. So two days later, um, the inquest adjourned, and Police Chief Hilliard arrested Lizzie and was like, "Hey, guess what, bitch? We think you killed your." your mother and father yeah and she's just like are you kidding me so she did plead not guilty and she was transported by rail car over to the jail in taunton which is eight miles north of fall river okay so i've heard a lot about that where she was kept in the jail cell was actually pretty bougie a bougie jail okay a bougie lady jail so I'm sure she was fineish, but probably upset because if she really didn't kill her parents, like that'd be really shitty. Yeah, and even if she did kill her parents, she was probably still upset about it. But she didn't want to get caught, right? But I mean, like that's a lot to do something like jail's that. jail, so, even if it's fancy pants for fancy right, right. pants people. Yeah, by August twenty second. Um, Lizzie returned to the Fall River courtroom for her preliminary hearing, um, at the end of which Judge Josiah Blaisdell pronounced her probably guilty. Probably guilty. He's like, <laughs> he said she's she's probably guilty. If I had to make a snap judgment, um, and, I would say probably guilty. Yeah, exactly. I liked that. 
And uh, they ordered the grand jury to happen in November. Okay. So basically the grand jury is going to go in and they're going to decide, like, are they actually going to. So basically this judge looked at it and said there's probable cause. right? Yeah. Probably guilty. And then they have to go to the grand jury to decide if they're actually going to issue an indictment. Yeah. So at first they were refusing to issue the indictment against her. And the jury reconvened. And then they were like, hey, Alice, do you want to come in and give some some new evidence? Because apparently Alice was feeling some guilty feelings. Okay. And and she just had to get some things off her chest. So she decided she was going to tell them a little bit about what was going on there. So she told them that the jurors, that Lizzie burned a blue dress in the kitchen fire like... I think it was the Sunday after the murders. Okay. And she explained her action, or Lizzie explained her action, saying that it was covered in old paint. So, a little bit about this dress burning. Old red paint? Um, oh, I think it was green. Okay. It was green paint. So, some people would speculate then that that what she did was that she took the bloody dress and then she dumped a bunch of green paint over the top of it, like house yeah. paint. And she's, I mean, it's its odd timing, but the woman's on weird. morphine also. Yeah, yeah. And she's in her house and she doesn't have much to do. Uh, And her parents were just murdered and the dead bodies are still hanging around, you know, for however many days. Like a lot of weird things are happening. Yeah. She's on drugs. I don't know why a person might decide to burn their dress in the kitchen fire, but apparently this is something that that they did say, supposedly that Emma suggested it to her. Like, well, I don't know. Why don't you get rid of that old nasty dress that you've been in your closet? Okay. Like, what? Well, Strange, instead of throwing it in the okay. garbage, you just had a fire going in your house all the time. I understand burning things, I guess. If I had a fire going in my kitchen all the time, I would probably burn a lot of things. Yeah. Like, it's like a campfire. Like, like, when you have a campfire, you just it is like a campfire instead of putting it in the garbage. Yeah. Is that, is that bad for the environment? Did I just admit to doing something Yeah, bad? probably. Okay. Yeah. I can't do that because the doc gets really mad at me about things like that. He'll be like, did you just burn that? And I'm like, no, I didn't burn it. Oh. Was that bad? that he likes yeah. to burn things. He burns appropriate things. Okay. He also digs through the recycling bin to make sure that everything is just so. Okay. <laughs> Remember that about him? Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Anyway. He loves the environment. Yeah. He does. Okay. So, Russell told the grand jury, we talked about that, like the blue dress. There was one thing that, that I heard where... Alice or that Lizzie said to Alice, Alice was like, are you sure that you should have done that? Because like, whatever. And like, there's still cops that can like see them that are looking in windows and stuff. Yeah. And I guess Lizzie, according to this one thing I heard, Lizzie was like, why didn't you tell me not to burn it? <laughs> like, if that looks yeah. so bad, why wouldn't you have stopped me? I, I don't know. Whatever the case is, they are not friends anymore. Okay. Um. So... 
They put this along with the earlier testimony from Bridget Sullivan that Lizzie was wearing a blue dress on the morning of the murders, and that apparently was evidence enough um, for the grand jurors to indict Lizzie for the murder of her parents. So sisters were basically like, fuck right off, Alice. We aren't friends anymore. You're making stuff out to be a bigger deal than you need to. And really, Alice was probably just, like, thinking about it a lot. And she was probably like, well, I could get whacked to death by these people. Yeah, I mean, if she was suspicious, she's just trying to protect herself, maybe. And you're staying in murder house. Yeah. Like, you would start to be suspicious of everything and everyone after seeing something. Yeah, it just, it doesn't make sense to me, I guess, for, if Lizzie was the one that did it, and she had things she needed to get rid of. It does seem weird to me, though, that she would have invited Alice back to stay there with them because I think I said Mm -hmm. this in the last episode as well, but I just like if I had just murdered somebody and I needed to get rid of things, I would want to be like as alone as possible in this house. And I'm not going to be afraid of getting murdered in the house because I was the one that murdered them. I'm like, oh, the boogeyman is me. But I just you think that she'd Mm -hmm. want less people around. Is all. One would think. Right. One would think. But who knows? She's on the morphine. A yeah, lot of morphine. That's true. I still just, I I know people when they're on morphine and how they act. And I know a lot of people who have said some really stupid shit or told some pretty big secrets while on morphine. And I just think to myself of how right. hard it would be to keep that particular secret while on morphine. Yeah, like you'd be on morphine and you'd be like, yeah, actually, I killed my dad. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, don't like, like you'd be like, like to your friend, you'd be like, don't tell anybody, but I killed my mom and dad. Yeah, exactly. That That's how I would have been if I did that, which I would never like, oh. have killed my mom and my dad. But I'm just saying, hypothetically, no. if I did, hypothetically, not. hypothetically. So for realsies, uh, the trial opened, like, almost a whole year later, on June 5th of 1893, um, in New Bedford, Connecticut. Wait, was that right? Massachusetts. I'm dumb. Okay. <laughs> you could take that part out. No, I'm not gonna. All right. In New Bedford Courthouse before a panel of three judges. Like, how do you get to have three judges? I don't know how old-timey That's- things worked. Well, I feel like it's better to have three judges, actually. Yeah. Like, you have better odds. It's not like like they're playing rock, paper, scissors with themselves. Do they do that? Know? I don't think they do that now where you might have multiple judges for big trials mm. like that, you know, where there's a lot of opinion coming in from different so. places. It seems like it would be a good thing to have. But, okay, so who – so we've got Alice. She No, just, like, OJ was there anything else judge, that Alice added? Judge Ito. Is there anything else that Alice had testified to besides the dress Uh, burning and potentially going potty by herself afterward? Yeah, probably later. I'm getting there. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Okay. All right, so um, there was a a high-powered defense team that had Andrew Jennings was one guy's name, and then George Robinson, who is actually used to be the – the governor of Massachusetts. Okay. So he was just like done being the governor and then she was able to hire him. Awesome. To be a defense attorney. 
And like people loved to write stuff in the newspaper about him and how great he was. Oh, They're I was like, like is he scandalous? He's good at this. Or he's just okay. good. No, no. He they just thought he was like really good. Um and then District Attorney Knowlton and Thomas Moody, so the two DAs, um, they argued the case for the prosecution. There was a jury of twelve white men. Um, of course, of course, because that is a jury of your peers. Absolutely, you know. <laughs> twelve white In men. Eighteen ninety-two. When you're a spinster, twelve perfect white dudes. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Like. Okay, because women have delicate sensibilities. Women can't couldn't even vote then, right? Like that. Women couldn't even vote. No, women's suffrage did not happen until the twenties. Is that right? We should probably know more about that, but I guess we don't. Yeah, we probably should because it's a big deal. Well, okay, that's um, when I can Google really fast. I'm in a side quest again, and by that I mean side okay, quest. You do that side quest. A scientific quest of knowledge. Scientific quest of knowledge passed by Congress June 4th, 1919 and ratified on August 18th, 1920. The 19th Amendment granted women the right I to vote. We have a lot of little that history shit. moments, honestly, within our show when I do these side quests. We do. Hey, hey. Do you just want to give me some credit for knowing it was the 1920s? I'm really proud of you because I knew nothing about it and... I, which is, do you know why? Okay. Why did you know? <laughs> because, because of that one show that was called Drunk History. Uh, no, oh, I know a lot of things because of Drunk History because <laughs> I would like look it up while uh, I was watching. God, what is wrong with me? There's a show that I used to watch that had Nookie in it. Oh, Nookie Empire. Oh my God, I'm so dumb. Okay. So it's the show Boardwalk Empire with Steve Buscemi. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's it was a show. It's really good. And if you haven't watched it, which clearly you haven't, you probably should. I haven't. And then you would know something a little bit more about women's suffrage. Okay. Because Margaret Thompson, she was like in the women's suffrage movement. I anyway all about that because I'm a woman. I know. All right. So basically, what happens here is that these four or. <laughs> These four, these 12 dudes, right, are there. They're in the jury judging things. And then Moody, who is Thomas Moody, the DA. Yeah. He opens the state. Or he opens the state. He opens the state's case. I thought you said opens and, the state. And I was like, wow. Okay. No. Moody carelessly threw Lizzie's blue dress on the prosecution table during his speech. Which this part doesn't make any sense to me because if they're trying to say that that's the dress that she, like, burned, I I don't get it. How did Why they have it? But if apparently, it was burned? I I don't know. I think that's ashes what doesn't to make ashes, sense to dust, me in this dust. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, during this opening speech, he also whips out the skulls. Of Andrew and Abby Borden. Okay. They boiled down the heads and kept the skulls, but the sisters didn't know that was happening. Can you imagine? That somebody just whips the skulls out of your dead parents. 
Yes. That is, like, that's horrifying. Even if you're the killer. Yeah. But do they have, like, a like bad oh, reaction? A visceral Well, reaction? yeah, they did. Lizzie gave them. She was, like, all heavens to Betsy. And she, like, fainted. So for several minutes. When they were on trial, Lizzie was no longer high anymore, correct? I don't think so. She was finally like being the lady that they all wanted her to be. Okay. She needed a fucking fainting couch. Okay. Because they pulled out her parents' heads. Yeah. Like Jesus Christ. That would be really jarring. It would be. Just saying. Okay. So Moody's original speech was like two hours long. And Lizzie basically had, like, one of those little fans, you know, the things where you Mm -hmm. fan yourself. Um, And they described her as being the only person to actually have the motive and the opportunity to commit the murders. Um, And then he dramatically pulled the axe head or the hatchet head, not the axe. The hatchet with no handle, right? The handleless hatchet. He whips it out of this bag and is like, wha-pow! This, this thing whacked them to death. So that was, it was very dramatic. And, and that's what they were doing. There really wasn't anything to see, I don't think, on Lizzie's dress. Like, yeah. perhaps there was that, that little tiny spot of menstrual blood, which is just embarrassing for all of the men to have to talk about in a yeah. Um, So several of the witnesses for the state... Um, testified that basically they were just talking about like stuff that had happened in and around the Borden house on that morning of August 4th. Like there were people talking about, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, uh, Andrew was over at the bank and yada, yada, yada. All the things that we heard last time. Yeah. That we we heard last time. Um, Bridget, the 26 year old maid that we've talked about that the, that the girl's, Lizzie and Emma called Maggie because they were too rude to call her by her actual name because they had a maid before her that was named Maggie. And they're like, what's the big div? Just call her that because I don't want to learn a new name. She testified that she was the only person, um, her and Lizzie, that were the only people that were in the house at the time. Okay. I mean, that she was aware of. Yeah. But anyway, um, she said that she had not witnessed... During the two years that she had worked for the family, any signs of the rumored bad relationship between Lizzie and her stepmom. Okay. She said everything was pleasant. And, quote, Lizzie and her mother always spoke to each other. Right? Now, let's also recall here at this moment that supposedly Bridget and Abby, dead stepmom, got along really well, too. Okay. Because it was... Like, if you actually listen to most of this stuff, it sounds like Abby probably was the most pleasant person in the house. Yeah, and, and other people were and Lizzie so and Bridget weren't really that, they weren't really friendly toward each other either. So Bridget probably wouldn't have no. a lot of reason to lie about that. She did. Like, Bridget left the job uh, within two weeks of the deaths, which, if it were me... I would have left like uh, that day. Well, maybe she had nowhere like, to go. Fuck you she guys, another job out. first. I mean, yeah, that could very well be. It sounded like someone was breaking into the room. Oh, okay. 
to ax me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there were a bunch of other uh, prosecution witnesses that wanted their day in court too, that wanted to to talk about this relationship between Lizzie and her stepmom Abby. Um, there's this one lady named Hannah Gifford. She had made a dress or something like that for Lizzie a few months before the murders. And she was like recapping a conversation that she had with Lizzie about the stepmother where supposedly Lizzie said, quote, she's a mean, good for nothing thing. Hmm. A mean, good for nothing thing. Okay. Um, and said, I don't have much to do with her. I stay in my room most of the time. So basically just people being like, oh, yeah, Lizzie talked shit about her mom kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Bridget also testified that Abby and Andrew Borden had tummy aches on the day before the murder, which we already knew. Um, And basically she was like, I was just washing windows during the wackety whack time. Yeah. Right. During the murders. Yeah. So she's basically just setting it up, saying that she had nothing to do with anything. Don't don't ask her. She did yeah. talk about how she opened the door for Andrew when he returned home from his walkabout. And, you know, the thing where she heard Lizzie laughing on the stairs when she said, push off. Yeah. Which she probably said, fuck. Fuck. Whatever. Um, she recapped Lizzie crying out a few minutes after 11 o'clock. Remember when she was like, come quick. Someone's killed father. Yeah. Right. I love how she turns southern every time um, you do it. Okay. I don't know how else to say it like her, and I don't know how to talk like Massachusetts people other than when I say Harvard. Harvard. That's it. That's, That's it. it. I just know that I would take away the R's. That's all I know. But I don't know if Lizzie talked like that. Lizzie Baden. So she's <laughs> so she's Southern. All right. My name is Lizzie Baden. <laughs> We're really like that was Southern without the R then. It got real weird. Okay. <laughs> Dude, I'm My today name. I'm in Scottish mode, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right. I. Uh, okay. Vaney eyed John Morse, the uncle. He was 60 years old. Uh, we all know what happened with him that day. We already he talked about it. He may or may not it. have been wearing pants. He, dis- he may or may not have been wearing pants at any given time. Yeah, you never know. I know nothing, John Snow. Okay. So he was described, or he talked about having breakfast with them that morning and just said his piece, what he knew, and was just like, hey, yo, I left. I don't know. And then the next set of witnesses talked about all those conversations that they had after the discovery of the murders. Now let's talk a little bit about Dr. Seabury Borden. His name is Seabury. Do you think perhaps he could have been? The fish stick man. That's what I'm just wondering because maybe somebody just heard that and they decided that he was a sea captain that knew this person. Because the sea captain was just because very his random. His name is Seabury. And there's just a lot of confusion. I'm going to go with Seabury as the sea captain. He is the Gordon's fish stick. Yeah. Doctor. Like fish stick. Yeah. Okay. Fish stick guy. I am a doctor of fish sticks. He's a doctor and he wears a rain slicker yellow okay he's actually just the family physician for the Borden. okay um that the one that lizzie sent bridget over to get um he recounted the story that lizzie told him about 
going out to the barn for the lead sinkers and eating a bunch of pears and that she she kind of recapped to him like the issues with her her father having trouble with some tenant and that maybe that had something to do with the murders so it was basically just like this is what she told me on cross-examination uh dr fish sticks agreed with the defense that the morphine probably had something to do with the confusion and the contradictory testimony that she yeah. gave at the inquest. He was like, yeah, she was fucked up. Okay, I'm so, glad that they recognized that. that she was fucked up. They did. They did. Um, Adelaide Churchill. Addie Churchill. Remember her? She's the neighbor on the north side. Oh, that can see the door. house. The back door, right? Yeah. It's it's across from that side back door. Um, the one with the eye and hook. Basically, the door that the bad guy probably got out of. Yep. And she also came to help Lizzie right away afterward, right? Right. Right, right, right. Because she so knows me. she... She is. So she remembered Lizzie wearing a light blue dress with a diamond figure on it, but did not recall seeing any blood spots on it. Okay. So there's that. It's basically just like, they're like, was she wearing like the same blue dress? Was it a different blue dress? I mean, like, there's a lot of blue dresses. Like, I may not remember what fucking dress somebody was wearing. Yeah. Like, if. If you asked me, like, what blue outfit was my sister wearing on whatever day, I'd be like, I don't fucking know. Yeah, I don't I even don't... know what I'm wearing most of the time. I know now, and I look down, but I have no visual. <laughs> do you memory. ever like think about? Do you ever like think about that? Like, you have on, say, like an overcoat, and then all of a sudden it dawns on you, and you're like, "What am I wearing today?" And you don't know. <laughs> I don't, yeah, yeah, that does happen to me a lot. Anna got mad at me even on Friday because she was wearing an outfit. She had literally just gotten dressed. And then I put on my clothes after seeing her, and I was literally wearing the same outfit that she was like almost exactly. That happens to me and you a lot. Yeah, we do. Together as well. We get up and wear the same thing. I'm wearing this this new sweatshirt that I bought on Friday because nice. we went to a movie theater it looks and right comfy. beforehand I had to go get candy and at Big Lots they were selling these sweatshirts and guess what I bought this and then uh, Lucy told me that it's it's CC purple like this is your color purple oh it doesn't even look purple to me and it looks like it's like and the doc room. says that the doc said when I think of CC I think of plum I love plum. <laughs> I do. Okay. I know you do. Okay. Anyway, uh, she says she didn't see any blood. John Fleet, he is the assistant marshal of Fall River. He recalled his interview with Lizzie shortly after the murders. Um, this is the part where, remember when Lizzie was on the, I'm going to say it wrong, it's that caffeine. The, is it bromo caffeine? Yeah. It's like a bromance. That's how I remember it. Like a bromance, it. yeah. A bromance of caffeine where it probably made her like, ah! Yeah. Freaking out in her head. Yep. Um, but that was before she had the morphine. Apparently, when they were asking her questions about Abby, she, they called Abby her mother, and she said, she was not my mother, sir. 
she was my stepmother. My mother died when I was a child. I mean, that could just be like, you know, a clarification of facts. Yeah. That but, could have been a clarification of facts. Yeah. But didn't okay, sound Alice the Russell. No, her her uh, frenemy, Alice Russell, she came back and she described the visit from Lizzie the night before the murders. Remember the one where yeah. Lizzie had been feeling bad all day and then she went over to Alice's house to hang out for a while. And then Uncle John came over with no pants on while she was at Alice's house. And then Alice said that she had told her um, that she would soon be going on a vacation and felt that something is hanging over me. I cannot tell what it is. So Lizzie was having some sort of psychic moment where she just felt like something was bad was going to happen. Which people have that happen Uh, sometimes. They do. Right? Same girl. Okay. I'm just trying to be Lizzie's lawyer over here. I know, right? Um, Alice said that she also described her parents' severe tummy aches, and she said that it was from bad baker's bread. She didn't say anything about that mutton. That was nasty. Yeah. Um, And Lizzie also said, quote, I feel afraid something is going to happen. She wants to go to sleep with one eye half open um, for fear somebody might burn the house down or hurt her father because he's so discourteous to people. Ooh. So she's like, my dad is such a dick. I feel like somebody's going to yeah, break she's in like, and murder him. I mean, like if your dad's a dick, it's seriously like you could have that fear. If literally people are coming to your house and being like, you're a dick and mad at you because you don't want to do something that they want to do for business. Yeah. Right? Am I right? Yeah, you're right. But it also does sound suspicious as well. It's very self-serving. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So D.A. Moody. um, <laughs> I don't know why it says it on here in my notes. It says ASCII. It says what? It says DA, it says DA Moody ASCII Alice. <laughs> I, I don't know. You were trying to say asked and you wrote ASCII. Okay. Yeah, ASCII. Okay. The ASCII Alice. Go um, oh, ASCII Alice. I think About on know. Sunday, he asked her about the Sunday after the murders and the dress burning incident. And she said Lizzie was up and and was doing stuff with the blue dress. And she said, I'm going to burn this old thing up. It's covered in paint. Um, on cross-examination, though, George Robinson, that was the old, remember he was the the uh, governor of Massachusetts? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember? I'm glad you clarified because I forgot. Mm-hmm. I forgot. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, he He basically was like, questioning her back and was just like um to suggest that a guilty person seeking to destroy incriminating evidence wouldn't would be very unlikely to do so in an open fashion like lizzie did because literally like people can see into the kitchen yeah where the kitchen fire is right in the stove and meaning like police were all around and about so he was just saying like would a guilty person really just like 
take the dress and just be like, I'm just going to throw it in that fire right yeah. there. I mean, she was high. She was high. Again. But, you know, getting back to whoever did these murders was also severely ballsy. So. Correct. Right. And if it was her, it was very Correct. ballsy to do it with Bridget in the house. So Alice Russell also um, recounted for them a conversation that she had with Lizzie about a note. Remember that note? The one yeah. that she kept saying that Abby got in the morning of the murders. Mm-hmm. Um, she said she received a messenger on the morning of the murders summoning her to visit a sick friend, meaning Abby. Somebody was trying to get Abby to go visit a sick friend. Um, and Lizzie used the note to explain why she thought her mother had left the home and therefore she didn't go and look for the body after discovering her dad dead. Yeah. Right? Because I'm sure they were asking, like, like, why wouldn't you go and look for Abby after your dad was dead? Yeah, to tell and, her. Yeah. So I guess they never found this note, even though they searched everywhere. But again, the fire in the kitchen. Like you yeah. get a note and you're like, I don't need that anymore. Not, yeah, like, like we would a, put it in the trash and you know, then throw it in the fire. Yeah. So they're just like, whatever. So Alice said she sarcastically suggested to Lizzie that her mother might have burned the note. And Lizzie, according to Alice, replied, yeah, she must have. You yeah. Know? Um. So a newspaper account of the prosecution case likened it to, quote, a pigeon shooting match in which District Attorney Moody kept flinging the birds and defying his antagonist to hit them, while the ex-governor, um, that's the Robinson guy, yeah. constantly fired and often, but by no means always, wounded or brought them down. So basically, they were just like super impressed with the ex-governor. They said he is certainly without equal in New York City as a cross-examiner. So he was doing a really good job. Yeah. Sounds like and it. everybody in the newspapers wanted to talk about it. Again, this is just bringing up that people all across the country were hearing about this. Yeah. In real time, meaning like they would hear uh, the next day about what, what happened, happened in yeah. court the day before. Which is a big deal yeah. for that they were like, time. Yeah. Like, something like that had really never happened before. So the defense made its case um, using the state's own witnesses, right? So, like, the prosecution's witnesses, the defense turned them against the state's story, right? Um, So one paper wrote, like, there's never been a trial with so many surprises, you know, kind of thing, with such marvelous contradictions given by witnesses called for a common purpose. So in other words, the prosecution was putting up witnesses and the defense attorney was just turning them right around yeah, and making it exciting by turning them against themselves, basically, and contradicting things. So they just kept hammering away at these witnesses. The defense also explored holes in the prosecution's case. Like, what happened to that broke off handle for the for the little hatchet? Where yeah, because there's no way that she made the, the fuck d- is that? D- did that damage with a broken handle. Like, with a hatchet without a handle? There's no way that you would have yeah. gotten through how that happened. Yeah. Like, 
they were just like, this doesn't make any sense, right? So the defense also exploited the government's own timeline because in their timeline that they were presenting, it basically said that uh, Lizzie had between eight and 13 minutes after Andrew's murder before she called Bridget. So they were basically saying, like, please, you know, tell me. Tell me how this is even possible. How could she, like, wash all that blood off of her, off of her clothes, off of the murder weapon, off of everything, hide the weapon, all of that within 8 to 13 minutes? Tell me how that's possible. Yeah, that's... And then they were like, yeah. Um, And basically they were like, well, she was naked. So... You know, yeah, but then she would have had just, to wipe all still, that blood off of her body still, which blood is not an easy thing to clean up. It's really, really not. No, it's not right. Um, this one time, this one time, a friend of ours had a fire at his house, and he had this dog that was a husky, and I, I had to bring the dog back to my house, and the dog got nicked on the ear by my dog. Like my dog was oh, like yeah. sniffing and there was blood the dog, there. there was fire, and the dog started bleeding everywhere. And I'm having to like wash this husky with the super thick fur and everything, and the dog's bleeding. So the dog goes to like, you know how dogs they shake, shake off, off. When they get wet? Jesus Christ. I used to work at a dog shook. daycare, and that happened. A dog got bit on its ear, and blood everywhere. Blood sprays all over. So, yes. And I get bloody noses it's a lot because I take blood thinners, up. and that's with me with thin blood, and I'll get blood on stuff, and I'll think I wiped it up, and then there's, like, smudges left over still. You really have to have, like, a cleaning solution and, yeah. like, things ready to go. It's so hard to clean, and, like, especially on your skin. Like, that's that's just such a tight timeline. I just, such a tight I just timeline. can't. Like, it would, it would be under her nails, or it would be, like you know, on skin, yeah. like maybe she'd have some, and her hair was perfect afterwards. And remember old timey ladies didn't wash their hair all the time. Yeah. Like, she would have had to like, it had to have been like a Dexter kill room. I, I just, yeah. Where she was also covered in plastic. So I just, I don't, get uh, it. yeah, I don't get it either. <laughs> I, I don't get it. <laughs> anyway. um, So a three judge, panel, the one that we talked about, or the three judges, um, they ruled that Lizzie's inquest testimony, the one where she was high, that was she was full of contradictions and implausible claims, they said that that could not be submitted into evidence by the prosecution because at the time of this, um, of the coroner's inquest was for all practical purposes, a prisoner charged with two murders and that her testimony at the inquest made it made in the absence of her attorney was not voluntary that was the argument so basically they were saying like lizzie should have been warned um and that she had a right under the fifth amendment of the constitution to remain silent so that was a thing even back then they didn't read her the rights i don't think that right did they read rights back then probably uh yeah no miranda wasn't a thing yeah no no um so the judges rejected the state's argument that Lizzie was only a suspect, not a prisoner, at the time of the inquest, and that 
Anyway, her statement should be admitted because it was in the nature of a denial rather than a confession. So it didn't happen. Um, Prosecution rested its case on June 14th. The state was kind of pissed because they did want to have this druggist by the name of Eli Bentz um, tell the jury his story about a woman that he says looked just like Lizzie Borden that visited a Fall River drugstore on the day before the murders. And he says that this woman asked for 10 cents worth of prussic acid, a poison. So... Remember when they took out the Borden's bellies? Yeah. And looked inside them for poison? They were looking for this, any evidence of any kind of poison, in particular prussic acid. Because this druggist, who was probably just trying to get some publicity, in my opinion, said that this woman, that, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Lizzie, came in asking for this prussic acid. Um, When asked what she was going to do with that, she said she was either going to put an edge like on a seal cape, like the animal, a seal. Yeah. Um, she was either going to clean it or put an edge on it. And anyway, the jurors were excused for a while while they worked this out. And they were basically trying to establish through like medical experts, druggists, furriers, it's not people that want to dress up like animals like they are today. What is a furrier? Um, like a furry. A furrier would be like somebody that actually makes those, like a seal cape, right? Okay. That would know something about that. One who makes um, things chemists, made of fur. Okay. Made of dead animal skin. Yeah. Uh, they, they brought all these pretty much experts together to ask them about the qualities, properties, and uses of prussic acid because Mm -hmm. they wanted to know if they could put this, you know, out there for the jury, for the jury to hear. The judges, after listening to the state's foundational case, concluded that that the evidence should be excluded. So they said no. Okay. I don't know exactly why but they said no so a lot of people say that like oh if they would have just put this in there then everyone would see that she was a murderous bitch and she would have been convicted so a lot of people say that because they didn't allow this to be brought into the courtroom that's one of the reasons she got away with it okay anyway defense also presented a handful of witnesses charles gifford and Uriah Kirby reported seeing a strange man near the Borden house at around 11 o'clock on the night before the murders. They could have been the men that took John Morse's pants. Yeah, maybe he got mugged outside and his pants got stolen. Or maybe one of them was somebody that John snuck into the house and he thought if he didn't wear pants that that would distract everybody. While the other guys in. <laughs> I hope nobody takes us seriously. About I really this hope not, but whatever. Okay. Um, Dr. Benjamin Hanfi testified that he saw a pale faced young man on the sidewalk near 92 Second Street around 1030 on August 4th. A plumber and a gas fitter testified that in the couple of days before the murders, that they had been in the Borden barn loft. 
the same loft where, remember, Lizzie went up to eat pears yeah. and stuff. Okay. So basically they did this because they wanted to cast doubt on what police were saying. Because the police were saying that, like, oh, the dust up in the loft wasn't even disturbed, right? Yeah. There was no footprints. There was nothing, blah, blah, blah. So they were basically saying, like, you, sir, are a liar because this plumber and also a gas fitter had been up there. Wait, why was there a plumber there? Maybe they were getting they more They just had, potties. like, minimal plumbing. Oh, okay. Um, Emma testified that Lizzie and her father had a good relationship. They also talked about the gold ring that was on Andrew's pinky finger. Um, it was a ring that Lizzie had given him like 10 or 15 years prior. And I guess he it meant a lot to him. So he didn't even wear a wedding ring, but he did wear that ring okay. that Lizzie gave yeah. him. Which some people tried to turn into a creepy thing, like they had some sort of a sexual relationship, blah, blah, blah. There was no, nobody was really ever able to like justify that, that statement that, that he abused the daughters or whatever. Yeah. Even though I know that's part of your ghost story. It is part of my ghost part. Yeah. Um, Emma insisted that the relationship between Lizzie and Abby, her stepmom, was cordial, even though she did admit to the lingering resentment that she and Lizzie both had about that transfer um, by her father of the Fall River home to Abby and her sister. Do you remember the story that we told in the last one about Abby had the half-sister and they helped that one out and yeah. the girls got mad about yeah, it because yeah. they were like why are you giving all of our inheritance away and so the dad was like here you want to you want a rental property have a rental yeah, property they and they gave they gave the girls the grandfather's house and the girls had it for like five years and then they were like everything keeps breaking this is hard you yeah. know so the dad bought it back from them even though they never paid money for it anyway <laughs> uh defense also hoped that Emma might testify that the Bordens had a custom of disposing of remnants and pieces of dresses by burning. But the court said that that was inadmissible. So they didn't get to talk about that. But apparently they did say that, like, that was a normal thing for them to do. Was it just burn in everything, right? Yeah. That they didn't need or want. It's not like they had a good will to take things to. Yeah, they really didn't. I Like, you would be burning shit all the time. Sorry, but you would. I bet you would. I bet you would. Um, so, basically, to sum it up for the defense, um, Jennings, the defense guy, argued that, quote, there is not one particle of direct evidence in this case from beginning to end against Lizzie A. Borden. There is not a spot of blood. There is not a weapon that they have connected with her in any way, shape, or fashion. That's what he said. That's so true. After that, the ex-governor, he gave his closing speech for the defense. He insisted that the crime must have been committed by a maniac, clearly, or I love the a word devil. Maniac. A maniac or a devil, not by someone with a respectable background like Lizzie. Right? Oh, she was a delicate ma- female. That's a little bit silly, but yeah, okay. It is silly, but that's what they used back then. Yeah, that's true. Because she was a little lady. She was like, she's like five foot four little lady. 
And they just were like, how could, but seriously though, how could she generate that much anger twice? An hour and a half apart from each other. Well, there's a just saying. possible theory on that in my ghost part, but I'll save that for later. Okay. Okay. Robinson also said that the state had failed to meet its burden of proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt and that it was physically impossible for Lizzie, without the help of a confederate, to have committed the crime within the timeline suggested by the prosecution. Yeah. I would agree. A confederate. I would agree. That she would have needed a confederate. <laughs> yeah. One of those tricky confederates. Yeah. Because she was a Yankee. All right. So basically he was like making fun of the theory that Lizzie might have avoided getting blood spots on her because mm. she was naked. Yeah. Right. That still takes a um, to clean blood off your body when it's like splattered everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And... You know, he was basically like, it was probably committed by an intruder who passed out of the house undetected. So after Knowlton's able summing up of the prosecution's evidence, Justice Dewey, I'm heartbreaked by a Dewey, <laughs> charged the jury with deciding. He was like, you 12 guys, you go into that room and figure out what you're going to do. So according to one newspaper report, uh, the judge had, quote, been the senior counsel for the defense, making the closing plea on behalf of the defendant. He could not have more absolutely pointed out the folly of depending upon circumstantial evidence alone. So they're basically like, this is completely circumstantial and you got nothing anyway. And it it was ridiculous, basically, that they were saying, especially since Lizzie had such an exceptional Christian character, which entitled her to every inference in her favor. She was a lady. She was a Christian lady. And I can't believe that they did it. So the jury deliberated for an hour and a half. And then it came back and they were like, what's your verdict? And they said, not guilty. That's what the foreman said. All right. Not guilty. Well. And we knew it, right? Lizzie yelled, let out a yell. She sank into her chair. She rested her hands on the courtroom rail and put her face in her hands and then let out a second cry of joy. She was probably like, Woo! Well, you would just like, like sometimes emotion overtakes I got away you. With like when I graduated, when I finished my last uh, assignment of college as a non traditional student. At the age of 33 years old, I finished it, and then I just cried on my couch for an hour. Like, you get so happy that you cry or yell. Oh, I thought you were going to, like, say that you made an exclamation of some form. I might have. I think there was was a lot of emotion Uncontrollably. Like, oh, my God, I did that. Like, this is over. (laughs) This is over, you know, kind of thing. Huge relief. Yeah. So, like, people were – she did have a lot of supporters in the town, which – like, they were very behind her. There was a lot of people saying she was Christian-y, whatever. But then afterwards, it didn't really go like that. Um, people love but, the drama. You know, people were, yeah, people were rushing up to her to congratulate her, especially, like, her sister, you know, and her council members, whatever, um, and other people that were in the courtroom. And she just hid her face in her sister's arms and said, now take me home. I want to go to the old place and go at once tonight. Like she wanted, she just wanted to go back to that house because that was her home. 
which is really sad. It is really sad. Um, the papers basically were like, they were like, good job. You know, they were saying nice things about her, but, and they were basically saying a lot of really bad, mean things about the cops and saying they were incompetent and untrained and, you know. Yeah. This one said, the usual inept and stupid and muddle-headed sort that such towns manage to get for themselves. Oh, God. Yeah. Inept, stupid, and muddle-headed. That's great. Basically, they just rested on nobody else could have committed the crime, so they didn't really look for anybody else. That was it. Case closed. They weren't going to keep looking. All right. Um, Opportunity missed there. Yeah, I know, right? Um, For the board and jury and a few other suspicious actions on Lizzie's part, such as burning the dress, it turned out not to be enough for the conviction. So she was the winner, all that. Um, A lot of people say, like, if it would have been a dude that would have been up for this murder, they would definitely would have convicted. Yeah. And I would tend to agree. I would tend to agree. So, I mean, there was some bonus. There's some bonus to being a lady back then. After the trial, uh, Lizzie returned to Fall River, right? Because she was just in, like, the town over. Yeah. Um, Where I know her and her sister were at at their house for a little while, but they did sell it off. And then they purchased a larger home on what is called the hill. Yes. Remember that? The place where all the rich people lived that she yeah. wanted to live? Um, They called the place Maplecroft. I did hear... Uh, on this one podcast, they were talking about how perhaps she didn't always get along with the neighbors because oh. she would get annoyed by people. So I think she did buy up some of the other properties around her house as well. Oh, so wow. Didn't I didn't have to know deal that. with people. I didn't know that part. Yeah. I am going to talk about Maple Crop um, later on, actually. Well, that's what it sounded like is that she might have bought up some of the properties surrounding her as well um, because she would get annoyed with people pretty easily around her and I would too after all that shit so they did get a significant portion of the father's estate yeah and they they bought Maplecroft like that was their home together that they bought and they lived together for like the next 10 years even though she was acquitted Lizzie was still pretty much considered guilty by a lot of her neighbors and she become pretty much she was became an outcast in town. If if you really like look into some of the things about her, um, apparently there was some sort of a something happened in in nineteen or nineteen in eighteen ninety seven where she was accused of shoplifting. Oh, which is weird. And then there was all these other stories. You know, people wanted to talk about how like oh. I think that she shoplifted things when she was a little kid. You know, we talked about a that little bit of that That all seems really before. made up because she had money. It does. I mean, like, I know that some people are kleptos even when they have money. That's a thing that happens. But I yeah. just because there's so many people just saying shit about her all the time, I just would presume that it's very possible that was just, just totally made up. Yeah. Like, it, it was a thing that people wanted to talk about, but I think it was bullshit. Um. I I heard on this one thing that she actually 
still would give like money to a lot of charities in Fall River, even though these people were horrible to her. Yeah. She was just like, it's okay. And she would secretly like give money to stuff. She would help to rescue horses that were at the end of their time, um, like being carriage, like being yeah. carriage horses. Mm-hmm. Like she would help those get brought to good places. That's awesome. So. Yeah, she was, like, really into her animals, and she did have, like, a cute little dog, and, like, there's some pictures of her as, like, an older lady doing that, but, like, Lizzie did want to party. Like, (laughs) she wanted to party, and nobody really would be friends with her, and she did have money, so, like, she would still do some traveling. Um, Yeah. She went to the World's Fair in Chicago, and, like, the World's Fair was, like, a really big fucking deal. Like, it's not just, like, going to a regular fair now. Because I've been doing some research about something that happened surrounding the World's Fair in Chicago. I knew it! That one will be, like, a little bit. I'm, like, halfway through researching two different things right now, so. Okay. Well, (laughs) some people actually wrote, I I don't know, there's some really funny, like, fan fiction that gets written, I think, about, like, H.H. Holmes and her and maybe, like, Jack the Ripper and her. Mm -hmm. Like, what would have happened if they would have hooked up? Well, (laughs) people are interesting. things. Fan fiction is just, like, a different kind of thing to me, but... Sure is. Anyway, uh, some of these friends that, that she ended up making were because she had money, right? She could go to the theater. She could go to Boston. She could do, you know, and she really loved the theater. And she met somebody named, well, she made sure that she met somebody who was a famous actress named Nance O'Neill. Okay. Like, she went out of her way to try to meet this woman. Okay. And she did. And she was basically like, y'all can come back to my house and have parties. Yeah. Kind of thing. And this is around that, like, turn of the century, so imagine the things that were probably going on with these bohemian types, right? Yeah. Of actors and artists and whatever. Like, they probably were doing seances. They probably were doing, like, vaudeville-type things, right? Yes. Like, lots of fun party stuff. And We would have had so much fun. I don't... Nobody... I think so. I think it would have been a lot of fun. Uh, Emma didn't seem to like this kind of thing and i think she just got sick of lizzie's shit okay and like obviously something happened but like apparently there was like a big party that happened at her house that was for nance o'neill and like her her uh acting troupe and they did supposedly have a really close friendship and a lot of people started gossiping about it like some people Everybody wanted to assume that Lizzie was gay, uh-huh. which if she was, she was. Big fucking deal. A lot of people wanted to say that she was gay with Bridget. I don't think so. She no, didn't even call her by her real that name. That one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, People said that, you know, her and Nance had a thing going on, blah, blah, blah. There was also other rumors that people don't really talk about of this other dude that was in her employ. I think he was like a carriage person. Like that could have been her secret boyfriend. So it could have been. Or whatever. maybe it doesn't she really who, matter. who knows? Or maybe she was hanging out with everybody. Whatever. She does does what she can. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't, know. don't judge. Don't fucking care. She, she never got married. She didn't, you know, 
that was a, a ship that sailed. wasn't going to happen to her. Either way, Emma apparently didn't like whatever was going on, and she moved out of the house after this party yeah. happened. And they don't know if it had something to do with what happened with her and Nance. They don't know if, you know, somebody found something out. I, I don't know, but the sisters never talked again, I guess. That's crazy. Like, that's it. 1905. Like, I mean, she basically, Emma raised her. Yeah, that's really sad. And then sad. she just was like, peace out. It's really sad. Uh, Lizzie continued to live at Maplecroft until she died of pneumonia on June 1st of 1927. So they went like all those years without seeing each other. That's so like 22 sad. 22 years. I would never do that to you. No. Even if I got a famous actress friend that you really hated. Yeah. I don't think that's a reason you for us to not talk. having parties all the time. Yeah. I forgive don't you. Don't be mad. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I would invite you to the parties. Thank you. I would come. Anyway. You're welcome. Okay. So, Emma, she, like, completely independent of her sister now living in, in Newmarket, New Hampshire. Yeah. She died nine days after Lizzie. Oh, wow. Like, they literally just died nine days apart from each other. I mean, they were, like, what, ten years apart? Nine, ten years apart? So, Lizzie, I think, was, like, 66 or 67, something like that. So, Emma would have been in her 70s. Anyway, they were both buried um, by the graves of the parents in the Fall River Oak Grove Cemetery. All right. So that's what I have right now. And the next part is theories. So, of course, since Lizzie was acquitted, there is like a million and one are like a million and one different um, theories yeah. about who actually did it. And I have my favorite theory, of course, but let's just kind of talk real quick about what some of those are. Okay. Some think it could have been old, old veiny eyes himself, John Morse, the uncle. Um, so according to Lizzie's testimony, John Morse knew about Andrew's will. So he also had motive. Uh, Andrew and he had a failing livestock business together. Okay, I guess. So there's that. Um, if he had people that were willing to to vouch for him, then it could have been him because he was a trained butcher, and it's theorized that he used a meat cleaver as the weapon. A meat, cle- meat cleaver so would be that. about that right size, huh? I suppose. Maybe. Sure. Okay. Could be. Um, there's also another theory, of course, the other person that was in the house, that would be... Uh, Bridget, that one kind of falls flat on its face because obviously they didn't, I mean, like, if she didn't like her job, then wouldn't she just leave? Yeah, and she was seen outside washing windows at those times, not bloody. She probably didn't have a ton of clothes is my, would be my guess, given how yeah, they, I feel like it, it just doesn't... seems unlikely to me. Yeah. That, that seems unlikely to me as well. There's another one that says that, like, the sisters could have done it together. I don't know about all that. Um, 
let's kind of go into this one. So the one that the one that got me on this, like the whole thing about this was a book that was written in 1991. Okay. Um the the book was written by Arnold Brown, and it's called Lizzie Borden, The Legend, The Truth, The Final Chapter. This one alleges that the killer was Andrew Borden's illegitimate son that was conceived while he was married to Sarah. So is that a real person? Yeah. Well... That's part of the problem. So can they, is there somebody that can say that there's a death certificate for him? Sure. Is there a birth certificate? Well, that's a little bit more tricky. Okay. And that might have something to do with the fact that it could have something to do with the fact that he, um, that he was illegitimate. Yeah. And that, so he was actually raised, let's see here. So I'm reading this out of the hatchet. Uh, it's a journal of Lizzie Borden and Victorian studies. So this is, it's a website that's out there. And I'm going to read some of this other stuff to you from in here. Okay. So the mother, the mother and her husband, which is another Borden, another guy named, I believe, Charles Borden, um, raised William. William knew about his parentage and may have received some support from his biological okay. father, meaning Andrew. Bill Borden was not exactly right in the head. He was a skilled butcher and had an axe fetish, keeping the weapon on his person and talking to it as if it were his companion Ooh. or a Freudian extension of his baser self. Oh, my. Apparently, once he figured out that who his real father was. Um, supposedly he bore a grudge against him and his animosity finally exploded on August 4th, 1892. Interesting. So, the guy that wrote this book, Arnold Brown, came about this information through a friend and fellow native of Fall River. The friend's father-in-law, Henry Hawthorne, had spent part of his childhood on Bill Borden's farm and later came to believe that this menacing figure who had frightened him as a boy was actually the killer of the Bordens. Mr. Hawthorne married the daughter of Ellen Egan, and by some remarkable coincidence, his mother-in-law had an eerie Borden memory of her own. She claimed to have seen a malevolent, sm foul-smelling man. Remember the stinky yes. brother? Okay. In the Borden yard on the morning of the murders when she became sick while walking down 2nd Street. Why was everybody barfing? Was it because this man smelled so bad? Maybe okay. the milk was bad for everybody. Maybe. Okay. The clue that convinced Henry Hawthorne that the man Ellen Egan had seen was Bill Borden was the unusually offensive odor. Mr. Hawthorne had experienced this himself in connection with Bill Borden, who habitually made a hard cider that would render a terrible, peculiar odor if it went bad or if a cask became contaminated. After cleaning Bill Borden's cask for the season, 
Borden made Hawthorne clean himself with something that looked like axle grease and a cake of lye soap and be sure to rub this secret grease on all spots of his body where the cider residue and the cleaner had come in contact. Henry followed Borden's instructions and after his bath, he, quote, noticed the foulest odor he had ever smelled, unquote. In an apparent practical joke, Bill Borden had spiked the salve with horse urine from a dead equine that died from blister beetle poisoning. Additionally, Hawthorne remembered some incriminating things Bill said to his ex, because his ex was his friend, remember? And this is essentially the basis for the whole theory. So Brown claimed to have a notebook of Hawthorne's writings, but he does not quote from this source or even show us any evidence of this of this okay. notebook. Um, so I guess take it as you will. There is a public record for the existence of William Borden. Brown has no source whatsoever for his theory that this man is actually the son of Andrew. There was a lot of Bordens in that um, area, right? Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. The connection exists only in Hawthorne's childhood memories of odd cryptic statements made by Bill Borden. There is no evidence, even of a secondary nature, that links Andrew and William Borden. Also, so, when I think about him being stinky, whoever this person is, they would have been hiding in the house between the two murders. Yes. And if he smelled that bad... Somebody would have smelled it. You know, like yes. Bridget or Lizzie probably right. would have smelled it. So Brown, the this author, believes that Bill Borden entered the house on the night of August 3rd and slept either in the room with Morse, so Uncle John, or in Emma's room where nobody was, yeah. or in the barn. There was to be a meeting between Andrew Borden and his disgruntled, illegitimate son, but obviously something went wrong, beginning with an unplanned, fatal meeting between the son and Abby Borden in the guest room. So, I guess if Abby had COVID and her sniffer didn't work, perhaps, but (laughs) I don't know. That doesn't make much sense. So, according to the theory, Lizzie did not know didn't know that the murder had occurred until she found her father's body. She knew her half-brother was waiting upstairs for Andrew to get home, but she was deliberately avoiding him while under the assumption that Abby had left the house. Could Lizzie have failed to overhear the first murder? Perhaps. If she were in the cellar or outside the house at the crucial time, um, during the second murder, Lizzie was eating pears in the backyard. Lizzie's silence about the murderer's identity was because of family pride and legalistic concerns about the inheritance of Andrew's estate. As for some of those puzzling mysteries, Brown has no explanation for Lizzie's dress burning. He calls Lizzie's attempt to buy prussic acid an act of self-defense. What? Uh, Brown adds some interesting touches such as his idea that the laugh Bridget heard upstairs while she was at the front door was not the laugh of Lizzie, but of her illegitimate brother. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, uh, this is the book. This is the book that I read. Well, so I would have been 11 years old when this book came out. So I probably read it. I probably read it when I was like 12 or 13. That's crazy. So what... What do you know? What do I like? Is that 
Is that all we're going to cover for theories? Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah, I think that, you know, there's a million and one theories out there. People could look it up. But, like, Stinky Brother is the best I can do. Okay? Because it's funny. Yeah. Stinky Brother. I think, like, before we get into what I've researched here, I guess we don't we don't know for sure right and we're never gonna know but i think that no never a it's either somebody snuck into the house and committed the murders and they were very ballsy and figured out how to get around within the house my other theory would be that lizzie was responsible but she didn't do it herself and she was helping somebody move through the house that morning i don't think that they smelled Mm -hmm. bad Unless other people in the house smelled really bad. I just, I don't think that that's part of it. Right. Um, but it, that's definitely interesting. So that's, that's that theory. So let's jump into the hauntings because there are theories attached to these hauntings that I've come across. Okay. So. Okay. I just need to pull up my, my research here. I'm glad that you're taking over this part because, honestly, I've been talking about this case so much that I was getting a little loosey-goosey. Yeah, you got, like, an like, entire I was having a hard time episode. holding it together. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm lizzied out. Okay. So we're going to jump over to the Lizzie Borden house, the green house that a lot of people might be familiar with where the murders took place, of course. Green paint. Green paint. So... Um, right now this house is a bed and breakfast and mm-hmm. it's been restored to what it would have looked like on the day of the murders. And so you can even stay there and eat the same breakfast that Lizzie's parents would have eaten that morning. Oh, mutton stew. Yes. I, I don't know. They make moldy That's food. I'm not gross. really sure, but, um, it has been owned by a few people over the years um, it's currently owned by U.S. Ghost Adventures, which is not the same as Zach Baggins' Ghost Adventures. Oh, that's but sad. But things we found out about that property, I'm probably doing this in kind of a weird order, but um, actually, no, let's let's jump into Zach Baggins. Speaking of Zach Baggins, though, even though he doesn't own it. So yes. um, to research this, I decided to just watch a bunch of shows because why? why not? And so... Zach Baggins, of course, has been there. Or Zach Baggins? Is it Baggins or Baggins? I think it's Baggins. Is it like Bilbo Baggins? I think he might say Baggins when he he says his name He might say Baggins. I remembered it for like a day, but whatever. doesn't matter. So when he was there, I think it's changed hands quite a few times over the last like Mm -hmm. 15 years or 20 years or whatever. But the owners at the time, uh, one of the daughters... That like that was just there visiting the house. They were children at the time. Their parents owned it, but they were up in the bedroom looking at some stuff. And one of them had passed out out of nowhere. Um, another one of mm. the daughters was touched by something while looking at the stepmother's stuff in the master bedroom. People Copy. pick up a lot of EVPs, or Zach Baggins picked up a lot of EVPs during his. It was a pretty general <laughs> ghost adventures situation, but there was a mm-hmm. lot of stuff was going yelling? on, yelling, things like that. Um, the camera at one point like started shaking really violently. 
on that Ghost mm-hmm. Adventures episode, and he did bring in. They had a medium, like a they called it house medium. So I think they must have had somebody that okay. would just come in and do seances. She, I don't know. So she had speculated that Andrew was molesting Lizzie, which led oh, no. to her being very angry and having the ability to fucking go bonkers on both of the parents. Why is that Abby's fault? Did Abby Well, maybe know about Abby it? knew about it and didn't do anything about it. Well, so that that was a theory was that was brought up during that episode. But okay. But outside of that, it wasn't the most crazy thing. So there was another show that I watched that I think I didn't write the name of here. And honestly, when I took these notes, I thought I was going to be talking about it that day. So I apologize if there's not a it's not as good Fair as it enough. And that was like a month ago. So okay. yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. There was a medium that was brought in by the name of Amy Allen, and it was on some show on Discovery Plus. It may be Kindred Spirits or some one of the other ones. I can't remember which one it was. Okay. So Amy, this medium apparently does not know what Lizzie looked like or what any of the other family members had looked like. And they brought, they bring her into the place, not particularly knowing where she's going, but I think that a lot of people know about this. So, you know, whatever, but they, they covered up pictures of the the family members, things like that. So she starts picking up on an energy inside of the property that tells her that, She's like the first thing she said is she's like she's like she wants people to go crazy while they're in here, talking about the spirit that wants people really? to go crazy. She says that there is a disturbed spirit that's crawling through the walls and crawling out of the vents in the ceiling. Um, she's being touched by the spirit. She says it's seeping out of the ceiling, making her ill. One part. Um, of her personality that didn't so she says that this person has like two different personalities so we're seeing the crazy part of this person in that um there's like basically saying that she has a split personality is getting back to like a theory that lizzie has a a split personality in this fractured piece did they say it was lizzie at this point they're speculating that it's lizzie and that or she's, she's talking about, another... like, she doesn't know it's Lizzie Borden, but she's describing a person that was in the space that this evil energy that's seeping out of the building is just a fractured piece of somebody's personality. Like, this person has a split personality, and that part of the spirit is there in that space, but the sane part of that person is not there. She said okay. that it was making her feel really weird inside it was breathing and growling and drooling so she also picks up when she's walking through the house a very tall man who doesn't like women very much at the top of the stairs Um, she said that he was miserable miserable man who worked with numbers and took it out on his family she he said she said that this she was picking up that there was a lot of physical fighting and stress between a male and a female in the house she talked about the female being short but stocky with frazzled hair. She also is Abby? picking up. Yeah. 
So we're going to start getting into some weird shit right here and not the funny kind of weird shit that we normally get into. So the energy that she picked up here was that there were a lot of really intense beatings and rape that took place. There were there was oh people being tied up for sex. There was incest going on. She said a lot of crying, yelling, hurtful, painful sex. Like energy that she was picking up. Um at one point she seemed like she didn't want to say it out loud, but that she, that she picked up on an incestuous energy between two sisters and thought that oh. these two, like the older sister learned how to show love and affection this way through a fa- the father. So that's so, just one thing that got brought up during it. That's icky. Yeah. Well, I'll return to like, that in a minute, but I'm just going to get away oh. from it for a second because it's yucky. Um, she said that her spirit guide told her to move the couch while she was walking through the sitting room where Andrew was murdered. She did find a Ouija board under the couch when she did it, which is a Ouija board that was at Mm. the thing. But she said that the spirits told her that they hid the Ouija board under the couch because they're tired of, they don't want people to talk to them anymore. They're sick of people coming into the house and trying to investigate and talk to them through the Ouija board and they just want to be left alone. She also okay. thinks there's something else in the house as well, um, like maybe some other energy, which there actually was another murder on the property as well. That's exactly what I was going to That she was say. maybe picking okay, up yeah. on. So there is some speculation that there could be some uh-huh. like demon energy on this property. The reason that they think that might be the case is that, so I think it was Andrew's uncle's wife. Andrew's uncle and his wife lived next door to the Borden house back, like, I think it was like 50 years before this murder. And uh-huh. his wife yep. went crazy and she drowned her two children in the well behind their house and then killed herself. Could she be the multiple personality was my question. That could potentially be it. Yeah. I mean, that seems more likely to me so getting back to like when when we do this okay so i do want to say though if she really didn't know who lizzie was um there was a sketch artist that did a sketch of the woman that she said that she saw there um because she said that there was like a woman talking in the kitchen that she heard and she sketched in like an older version of lizzie in the sketch um it looked like a version of her um Okay, let's see. I'm trying not to get around too much. I'll go back to this. So the one theory that would come out of this, I guess, when you're looking at the situation is a the molestation theory that perhaps somebody that was being abused, like if they were like if Lizzie was being abused by her father, that that could come out in a really, really violent way and get somebody to get up so much anger. Or if we're speculating that Lizzie did have multiple personalities which i don't i think that they would have noticed that you know later on yeah i think they would have noticed that during yeah the so if that were the case that could maybe be a reason why she could be calm 
you know, like where she has this ramp up, she does this really, really crazy murder, calms herself down and acts like a normal person for an hour and a half or whatever while she's talking to Bridget. And then that part of her personality takes over again and murders Andrew. But that it's the timeline still don't match up to me. And I think that this molestation stuff really and like the the incest stuff, too. I'm just kind of like, you know, like, I guess that could possibly be a reason that there could have been a falling out between Lizzie and her sister later in life if there was something weird going on there. But I like that's a really icky thing to speculate about. And I don't think there's any real evidence for that besides what the psychic is saying. So. I think that's a horrible thing that people are perpetuating about their family and like everybody. So there's a lot of people, a lot of older families in the area that have stories about Lizzie, like after, after the murders, after the acquittal, after everything. And those people, they do like some of them have old photos of her. Some of them have, you know, stories about her, but they are so well guarded because those people actually cared about Lizzie. Yeah. And they said she was a great person, you know. So people that are loyal to her are loyal to her, like even still to this day, like their families are. So I I just don't, I don't think she did it. I really don't. I I don't don't think think she did she did either. And there's another part of this too that I'm going to talk about where I was like, I was kind of more impressed by the, the psychic on this other show that did Maplecroft. But I do just want to go over really quick okay. some of the things. I'm not going to go through everything I have in my notes here because it's more confusing to me now. But I do just want to cover some of the things that might happen if you were to decide that you wanted to go and stay in the Borden house and experience what happens there. So, And then I and also have a pro tip for getting a good night's sleep at the Borden house. So... Okay. All right. So um, things that people have experienced, there was a night manager that um, was working at the property one night. He was in the master bedroom. He was sitting on a bed reading a magazine at 2 a.m. And he saw a shadow move across mm-hmm. the door frame three different times. He said it was a tall black mass that would like go across the wall and then disappear. He felt like somebody was watching him and he speculates that it was Mr. Mr. Borden. Um People who work at the house have had strokes and deaths out of nowhere in their family. What? Yeah. um, They see orbs shooting around in the basement. They'll get poked in the back or hit on an arm. They see the black mist going across the bed or black smoke swirling in place. Um, They... There was one time where somebody that worked there got electrocuted by touching the nightstand. They, like, she touched the nightstand and got a shock... Every light went on in the attic, and then she went downstairs because she was freaked out. When she got downstairs, all the lights went off down there instead where she was, and the lights upstairs went back on. Oh, shit. Other things, so this tall shadow, again, limbs or ears being pulled, figures walking around uh, things, a woman in a nightgown in the master bedroom is seen, a lot of doors move on their own, Ew. shadow figures all over the house, including in the basement. Um, in Bridget Sullivan's room, somebody had like a wind-up cat toy that was on the chest. It started to play on its own. Mm-hmm. They hear voices, <gasps> footsteps, furniture moving. Because I think you said that somebody heard a scraping at one point. Yeah. And I'm like, that that's something that was described by people in the house. If there was just hearing. listen though, 
if there had to be the scraping noise, like let's say that wasn't Lizzie, right? Yeah. And she heard the scraping upstairs. That could have been the person going to the back stairwell, right? Yes. If they cut through Lizzie's room, but it had to have been a person that knew the house. Mm They would have moved that bureau or whatever it was or the desk away from that door. Yeah. It could have happened. The scraping sound that they were able to replicate on one of them, I think it was maybe Zach that was trying to replicate a sound. And it was like the attic door makes a really particular scraping that they caught. But (gasps) yeah. So there is a rocking chair there that'll move back and forth people have described people touching their legs and pulling on the comforters while they're sleeping um oh god one time a rocking chair moved across a room like to what do you mean like it like it rocked really fast i think it like rocked its way like forward to a group of guests really yeah they hear they or did it just like yeah i guess i don't know there they've had floral scents come through that'll suddenly be close to you Fire alarms going off for no reason. But here's the deal. If you're going to stay at the Borden house, like maybe maybe your sister comes with you and just pays for half of your room and you can record there. And then she gets a Super 8 motel and pays extra for it. Do not sleep. You with a dot can sleep (laughs) in that room. I'll pay for it. Um, Okay. So if you want to get a good night's sleep while you're there – What you're going to do is you are just going to leave some money on the dresser for Andrew. Oh, because Andrew's a dick. Because Andrew's so into money. You just leave some cash out on your dresser for him. And he's going to leave you alone. Simple as that. Yeah, but that that would say that he's the only one that bothers people in the house then. Yeah, and I think, well, I think that he's the most... People describe him, like in these shows anyway, they were describing him as like the most oppressive energy. Okay. But he's like this evil energy that's there. I just don't know. I think that there's probably some residual energy in building. Yeah, I feel like there was probably some bad energy. There was bad juju there before this even happened. Yeah, so that's why I'm like, I, mean, I don't know like, if I want to be there. Because what if there is some kind of like evil energy that helped make this situation happen? I don't need that in my life. I mean, it's been a long time since anybody got murdery in there. That's true. It's very true. And like, perhaps it was... It's, like, probably just that land. Yeah. Because if that other family had the well murders where she went nuts, too, and it wasn't in the exact same house. It wasn't in the exact same house, but I bet that she probably, I'm assuming that if if that house was, I don't know, know, was that house owned by Andrew or, like, family members of Andrew beforehand? It's just weird that his uncle just happened to live next door because it was 50 years between the two. So if, because didn't Andrew build the house himself or was it a duplex at that time? No, I think that it was just like a, a multiple family home, but when he bought it and then they turned it into a single family home. Like if he got it from a family member, I would understand what, why maybe that the 
the lady next door, you know, like his aunt would be within that house. Right. You know, if it was some part of what she did on a regular basis, interacted with family that was in that home. Right. Or something, and you'd get that split personality. Maybe. But, you know, kind of, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. I guess it would be a question to ask if you went there, even though the spirits apparently don't want you to do that. So we're actually going to talk about Maplecroft now. And okay, what I will tell you right now, actually, I'm going to wait and tell you what I'm going to tell you. So we'll just talk about Maplecroft in general. Like you said, it's in Fall River, Massachusetts, and it was a larger home on the hill that Lizzie had purchased, and she lived in it um, after the trial. It had seven bedrooms and three and a half bathrooms. And so she got her potties afterward and her plumbing and all the things, right? Um, Mm -hmm. At this point, she preferred to be called Lizbeth. So after after the the trial, she stopped being called Lizzie. She kind of reinvented herself a little bit. Mm -hmm. So um, she, like you said, didn't have a lot of friends, but she did throw... They said, like, themed parties, entertained a lot, um, was pretty secluded in that area. She didn't leave her home a ton. Um, two of the bedrooms in the sure. house were, like, her own. She had two bedrooms that she took for herself completely there. Her wake took place in the parlor at that home, even. And oh. um, employees who work there. Okay, so this house was purchased by the same people that at one time had owned the Lizzie Borden house. So they had the intention of opening it up as a bed and breakfast as well where you could stay. Okay. So when they started getting this set up, they started to feel this like heavy and oppressive feeling like somebody didn't want them there. Employees said that they had been physically attacked and there were disembodied voices. So this one I remember was for sure Kindred Spirits on it's on Discovery Plus um, if you ever want to do it. Mm -hmm. And I kind of liked the way that they approached things. So when it was purchased and they were getting ready to bring guests in, they wanted to get the the psychic from this show to come in and do an investigation. And by all measures, they were, she was kind of the first psychic to ever be able to go do an investigation there. Or it wasn't – I don't think she's even a psychic. Okay. I think she was just – At Maplecroft. Yeah, I don't even – I don't know if she was a psychic, actually, now that I think about it. I think she was just a ghost investigator. She was just. I didn't take notes on this part, so things are going to get weird. So, okay, okay, (laughs) yeah. So, so gear up. I'm going to have to do a lot of editing on this part. Okay, Um, I'm going to say like a lot. So, they're investigating. It's like I think it's like a it's a man and a woman that investigate on kindred spirits. And so, when they went into the house, they were the first people to be able to do an actual public investigation there because it had been privately held, and so. When they went in, they had a psychic that they brought with. Things are coming back to me now. They blindfolded him. It's all coming yeah. back. They, they all like blindfold him. To her now. <laughs> and yeah. he's like kind of silly, but I liked him. So he was able to pick up on that. There was this female energy there that was concerned, not because she was just evil, but because she didn't want people in her home. And she did give them the name Lizbeth through one of the recordings. Well, like the the EVPs they caught. Mm -hmm. They were asking questions and it responded that it was Lizbeth. 
Um, and they, they got some really awesome EVPs there. But what they figured out through that investigation, really like their conclusions were that like they they did the second night that they were there, they actually pulled everything that had to do with the murders out of the house. They could tell that that Lizzie was trying to oh. portray to them that I don't want this shit here. Like I don't like this isn't what it's about here. Like this is my place. This is where Lizbeth okay. lives, and this isn't Lizzie, like Lizzie born in the murder kind of thing. So what they did is they removed all of the Lizzie Borden axe murder stuff. All the murdery yep. things. So there were books about hauntings, you know, like just things about the the, the crime that were there. That there were some stuff. like axe things that were placed through the house kind of stuff. Yeah. And they removed all of that stuff. And then they started to get more positive readings from, from this spirit and kind of things opening up. But essentially at the end, they just kind of realized that this was really Lizzie's place and wasn't... Okay somewhere necessarily that they thought that they should even bring people in the first place. Yeah. And so did I they don't stop? think that they ever ended up having it as a bed and breakfast. They didn't say after that episode, but from Aww. what I can see online in, I think it was in 2017. Again, I didn't take notes, but it has been sold as a single family residence for, there's like an, uh, an art professor, I believe and her family that live there now. And okay, so I just really like the way that they approached it. Like, can you imagine if if there was any part of your spirit there in this house, and and they're just bringing like murder stuff in, and you didn't actually do this? Yeah, yeah, and just like a horrible thing that happened in your life, and then somebody keeps on like trying to shove it in your face. Yeah, like, I just That's not cool. I just don't understand um, that. I did hear that basically Fall River, it's probably not a great place to just go and stay, like visit. Yeah. Because I guess they tore down like a ton of history in that town. Oh. Like the Lizzie Board, like the Borden's house is one of the rare exceptions to where they didn't just like tear everything down and put in 70s things. Yeah. So. I guess uh, there's a lot of people in the town that really just want to go away from that and forget about yeah. all that history. And they're not. And it's weird because they're like, that's, you know, people go to the East Coast to, to get that history. And I guess this town is just not into that. Well, it's such a like, negative thing to have tied to your town. Like people are coming there just to to look into this murder. Yeah, but they had a lot of other things that they could have. Like all of those, the the textile stuff that happened there. There's a lot of history that happened in that town yeah. um, that they could celebrate, and they just they don't. Yeah, if they weren't really concerned with Which preserving it, a lot of that stuff's really old on the East Coast too. You look, and there's buildings that are really anyway, old. Yeah, we don't yeah. have stuff like that. But here, anyway, so. no. This guy said. Um, this guy that was on this one podcast said that if you're going to go, like, go to the house, he's like, but don't actually stay in Fall River. Like, yeah. He, he said it's just, it's not like a place you want to go on vacation yeah. to, right? Like, <laughs> like, you'd have to, it would have to be like a, a, a day than, stop for you, basically. Like a day yeah. stop. Yeah. And I, I that actually made me really yeah. sad. I, I was well, like, I was sad because, oh. like, at first, like, I'm glad that they didn't, it's not a bed and breakfast. I'm glad that it's just a family home. Um. 
But mm-hmm. first, when I thought it was, I was like, oh, I could totally, maybe I could get Jules to just stay in Maplecroft. Like, I feel like, like, for whatever reason, I'm just like, I feel like I'm <laughs> fine with, like, with having Lizzie's ghost there. I think I just really connected with Lizzie okay with that. some way because, probably because of yeah. the spinsterism. Yeah. And if she's a murderer, yeah. shit. But I guess if she murdered because she was being molested, I'm not mad about that either. If that really was a thing that happened, I, whatever. That is pretty brutal. It would though. be like I mean, that's the only way I can think of that why she would have had them axed. It's like why wouldn't she just have done the poison thing or something? Like it's just a really violent way. Like, like poison there would, is a lady's. I just feel like, like if it was if she was behind it. So let's say she hired somebody else to do it. I do think that it would have had to have been for something and, and because she wasn't a violent person afterward, she wasn't crazy afterward, anything like that. She pretty much yeah. held herself together afterward. If she was responsible for it, I would have to imagine that there would have been like something that made her do that in that like that there would have been a reason that there was so much violence around it. And it had everything to do with potties and that it probably just had to do with potties. No, but like. I just think that, that if she did and there was the violence, like maybe that, that sexual aspect was there. Maybe that was a problem. But I don't Could know that. that I, I think that that's just like people have picked up on that for TV shows and put it out there because it's I scandalous. Too, it's gross. I don't know. But anyway, I would have been comfortable staying in the Maplecroft house for some reason. I was like, I could handle that if it's just Lizzie there. I don't but know why. But I don't know. Oh. But Andrew's well, ghost maybe scares is that me. It? So. Um, I think yeah. that's it. So thanks for tuning in, we guys, did for it. eight hours of programming on Lizzie Borden or whatever it is that we made, probably more. And holy shit. Yeah. Next time we're gonna dive into some Latin American cryptids. So yeah, we're going to do something later. It's not later. Is it later? It's totally lighter. And then and then my next okay. topic after that is pretty light as well. So before I get into okay. H.H. Holmes. Cool. Real gross. Mm-mm-mm. I don't even know what I'm going to do next, but right at this moment, I'm just going to celebrate somehow, some way. Well, thanks guys for sticking Borden around for all these episodes too. We had... Really good returns yeah, on you. these ones. Like people are eating them up one after another, which is great. Really? Yeah, it's going really, really well because usually so, sometimes when we do two-part episodes, yeah, you know, yeah. our ratings might go down a little bit. because Not our ratings, but, you know, like our numbers will go down because if they weren't super into the first one, you know, and they didn't finish it out. Like mm-hmm. it's not like a fresh episode every time. So, um, but this one, people are like on top of that shit as soon as we released that last one. It was like everybody wanted good. it right away. So it's it's going really well. I'm glad you guys stopped in to listen to this, and hopefully it brought some extra, or is bringing some new extra people into our listener base. All of our, and for all of you that are Lizzie aficionados, I apologize. I know everyone's got their own. Don't apologize of what they know a, about Lizzie. You try your hardest. That's all anybody's doing with this. I case. did until. Until the trial part. Ugh. I think that it was just so it much. It would have taken us forever, honestly. It would have. Like, I could have really gotten into more detail, but this isn't the Lizzie Borden podcast after all. Yeah. There is one of those already. There so. is one of those already. This was awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Goodbye. <laughs>